Welcome to the Fueling the Future podcast, where we get to the bottom of global trends, issues, and developments in fuels and vehicles. Are you looking for real insight and analysis from the industry's top experts? Are you trying to stay ahead of the curve and read the tea leaves? Then you're in the right place. My name is Tammy Klein, and with me today is Jeff Wood of the Overhead Wire. And we're going to talk about all things cities and transport. Jeff, welcome to the program. Hey, Tammy. How's it going? It's going good. It's going good. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Just to give the listeners a little bit of a background. um, So I met Jeff at the Fuels Institute annual meeting in Denver about a month ago. And Jeff and I were on a panel talking about um, urbanization. And it's really one of the first conferences, frankly, in the, in the, on the fuel side of the business where um, urbanization was actually discussed with an eye, with an eye toward discussing the potential impacts um, in the future for fuels and also vehicles. So Jeff was my fellow panelist and it was really, really interesting, the interplay, because I'm coming from the, the fuels and energy side. Um, and you're coming more from the, um, you know, cities transport, uh, side of, um, of the equation. So it was, uh, I thought it was a really interesting mix that they put together. Yeah, it was fun. And um, I thought it was really interesting that the Fuels Conference wanted to have me because I'm such a, a different voice <laughs> from I imagine what they would usually have. Felt like uh, I was surrounded by wolves and I was the poor lamb on the stage. Not really. I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> but it was it was super fun and, and uh, it was fun to interact with you as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, same, uh, same here. So for the listeners who might not be familiar with you, can you talk about your background and what you do at the Overhead Wire. And we'll just kind of go off from there. So I got my undergrad in geography and my master's in city planning from the University of Texas at Austin. And a lot of my work to start with was at a nonprofit called Reconnecting America. And I worked there for eight years on federal transportation policy and local transportation policy. So basically thinking about how transit and land use work together. And um, after that, I, you know, I started my own company because um, the Overhead Wire, I mean, um, uh, the Reconnecting America disappeared. And so I started the Overhead Wire and started doing my own thing, which included uh, my own podcast, uh, Talking Headways on Streets Blog, as well as uh, a newsletter that I do, which I put out every day um, for readers that are mostly transportation officials, but sometimes urban planning officials and others who are interested in what's going on in cities around the around the country and around the world. So Every day I go through about 1500 news articles about cities and I pull out my favorite 30 or so and I, and I send them to a list of subscribers, which um, is super exciting and fun because then I get to learn about what's going on in the world every single day. So, you know, that's basically what I do. I also do some, you know, consulting stuff. I'm, I'm, I do mapping and cartography, which is where the geography comes in using GIS. So that's another piece of, of what I do as well. But mostly it's media. It's mostly the podcast and mostly the news uh, subscription service. Yeah, to me, it is so amazing because I, I, I don't think I've ever counted, um, what I actually look through on a daily basis, but I was astounded at, uh, the 1500, uh, number. That's, um, you must have googly eyes. Uh, <laughs> but that's not what I want to talk to you about. What I wanted to talk to you about is really this idea of, of transport and cities and again, a little more on urbanization. And I guess, you know, what I, I'm interested to hear from you about is where do you think cities are, are headed in terms of transport 
generally transport urbanization and then how do you see it with 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 public versus private transport we talked a little bit about that you know at the on the panel in may but i think it'd be interesting for the the listeners to kind of hear from you about this and maybe dive into it a little bit more i guess there's a there's a number of ways you can think about it. Um, the one thing I, I mentioned at the the fuels conference was you know Robin Chase's heaven or hell scenario. Now Robin Chase is the founder of Zipcar, which folks who might not be familiar, Zipcar is an organization which allows you to share cars. You can rent a car basically for an hour and it'll pay a ten dollar fee or something like that, and then you're a member for the year. So you may pay sixty bucks for the year to be a member, and then for the rest of the year you can rent the car if there's one near you uh, whenever you want using a uh, you know the computer. Uh, or your app on your phone, and, and it actually works really well. Um, but her scenario is basically, you know, the heaven or hell scenario, which is it could be heaven, which is all the vehicles that are shared and, and connected and electric, and basically, you know, we're all kumbayaing in, in vehicles together, going to wherever we're going, whether it's the movies or work or or to play. But then there's also the hell scenario, which is basically everybody owns their own autonomous vehicle or their own, you know, vehicle and it clogs up everything. And you're, you're going to the grocery store and sending your car around the block five times. And then everybody else's car is sent around the block five times and they are all getting each other's way, but nobody's actually in those vehicles. So those are kind of two like, you know, big picture ideas of where these things might go. And I think it depends on the policy and what we we get. And then there was another study by Bloomberg and McKinsey, which kind of stated there's going to be different types of cities that operate in this uh, in this worldview, not just the basic heaven or hell scenario, but the cities are going to be uh, any of three types, which is um, something that they wrote in their report. The first type is basically connected and shared where a, a city with a lot of rules and regulations already and the traffic is, you know, pretty ruly, not unruly, but ruly, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the vehicles there will will follow the rules and everything will be great and it'll be shared and autonomous and electric. And what will happen is that, you know, cities like Tokyo or Vienna or San Francisco or New York City or those types of places will have urban cores and the surrounding areas, which are very, uh, you know, the vehicles are autonomous and they're able to get around places and you can share and you'll have automated buses and trains and all these great things, which which is great, but it's not going to happen everywhere. So there's two other cities as well. The second city type is going to be a place where there's an urban core and then there's the suburbs, which are a bit different and a little bit lower density, which means that um, you're going to have vehicles that are shared and electric and, um, you know, in the downtowns, uh, in the areas that are very dense or more dense than the suburbs. And that'll be kind of a core area. And then outside of that, you'll have people who own their own autonomous vehicles because they need to get around and the density is less. And then you have a third scenario, which is basically cities in the developing world, uh, whether that's Kinshasa or Mumbai or uh, I guess I don't know if Mumbai is actually developing, but it's, uh, you know, in, in places that are that are have traffic chaos on a daily basis um, where the vehicles aren't necessarily going to be able to tell, you know, all, all this chaos that of humanity that's running around. And so you're going to have electric vehicles and they're probably going to be shared, but they probably won't be autonomous because of the just pure computing power that will take place to get through, you know, thousands of motor sc- scooters in Vietnam or, or wherever else. So um, you're going to have three, three, diff- those three different types. And it's, I think it's an interesting way to look at it. I don't know if it's actually true or not. Um, whether this is going to happen, I think it's a good typology as a way to think about these things because 
not every place is going to be the same and every, and places are going to be much different based on how many rules and laws they they implement. I think Singapore, because it's so strict and because it's so, you know, already headed in this direction, will probably be one of the first cities to go autonomous and, and start to think about transportation in this way. But then there's going to be other cities that are going to be way far behind and probably will not might not might not even get there. So, you know, we have to look at it on a kind of a spectrum rather than a, a black and white kind of situation. So that's kind of interesting. So what I am kind of hearing you say is, I mean, I think it's important what you're saying with respect to the spectrum, because I do think on the the fuels, energy transport side, there are those who, you know, really are advocating kind of a one size fits all solution. And I don't see that happening because of what you say about the nature of, of cities and, and uh, you know, they have different needs, different issues, different geography, different, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and the need, needs of the people in, in those cities are, are, are different. And there might be a range of different types of traveling. So in, in some sense, you know, um, there may still be a lot of private transport. So people using either electric vehicles or internal combustion um, engine vehicles, I would imagine they'll be super clean with super clean fuels, you know, at the, at the time point that we're talking about here. Um, and then, um, you know, there'll be a lot of autonomous vehicles uh, that are uh, shared in, you know, the larger uh, megacity urban areas, so on and so forth, um, and a lot of public transport as well. So it won't be one one size fits all. But I do think what's interesting is there are those out there that are pushing um, kind of that solution. And um, I'm not really sure that actually makes sense at the end of the day. It might be a range of different solutions um, that are all mixed together. Is that what you're seeing also? Yeah, I think there will be. And I think there's going to be a transition period as well that's longer than we expect. I don't think this is anywhere near, you know, coming to fruition. I want to make that abundantly clear <laughs> that it's not going to be here tomorrow. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 years. I know that the car companies are very optimistic about, you know, in the next five years, we're going to have an autonomous vehicle on the road. Well, maybe you'll have one or two and, you know, they'll be testing and all that stuff. But, and the technology is probably going to be there at some point in the next 10 years. But at the same time, People aren't going to just openly adopt this kind of vehicle that drives you around. And, and it's a little scary. I think there's been, you know, some uh, surveys to that effect where people are going to be a little bit worried about what happens when the cars go autonomous. And also, I mean, these cars are not going to be cheap either. So we're going to have a situation where, you know, people are going to want to keep on driving uh, their their own cars or their own vehicles because they need to get places. Uh, and then, you know, some folks that are really, you know, it's kind of like Tesla's, you know, the people who have a lot of money will have a Tesla uh, until the you know model three I guess comes out, but um at the moment it's a it's a rich person's car, so you know there's gonna be all those types of situations too and, and I think another thing that that maybe I should chat about as well is that you know we always talk about autonomous cars as a car and a car is a four door vehicle with a, maybe a sedan or or a or pick em up truck that you know drives around the city that you're used to today, but it might not be like that it might be a different vehicle altogether because of the autonomy and the shared uh you know outlook that they have so you know, I know car companies want to keep selling cars and I know people have path dependence in terms of what they're expecting vehicles to be. But then, you know, at the same time, it might not be that vehicle that you're used to. It might be like a six or eight or 10 or 15 passenger vehicle that has no driver and you're all sitting in a nice little circle around uh, the in interior and it might not even be a square. Who knows? Maybe it'll be a circle or a triangle, you know, <laughs> who knows? You know, we don't know these things. That's the thing is we're all we're all having fun speculating kind of. 
So maybe it'll be something that's, I saw a picture of you with a t-shirt that said something like, um, something having to reference a rhombus. So maybe it'll be a rhombus. Uh- <laughs> that shirt says, uh, I'm sorry I'm late. I took the rhombus. Uh, and there's yeah, a, yeah, I love there's that. A, there's a bus inside of a rhombus. Yeah, I love uh, that. Transfer joke. Do you see, you know, I, I think this transition is, is, um, you don't want to treat it like, oh, it's 50 years off, so we don't need to take, take it seriously. And I think it's going to come much sooner than that. And I agree that there's going to be some kind of, uh, of transition period where these technologies are kind of, uh, um, you know, continue to sort of be introduced and, and consumers, uh, and they need to be tested and they need to be proven safe and then they need to be introduced to consumers and all of that. But, you know, but it is, um, on, the horizon. So do you see from your work cities already starting to think and and move um, in this direction? I mean, especially with respect to, you know, public transport and and most especially, you know, autonomous, connected autonomous mobility. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, lots of cities are working towards it and states are authorizing testing and the federal government is looking at regulations. Um, all this stuff is going on. I mean, uh, you know, um, Helsinki is actually going to um, have uh, autonomous buses that are running around the city soon, um, you know, on a test. They're, they tested one for a while and now they're going to have a couple of routes that they're doing and just as a, you know, a starter point. And the University of Michigan, I think, is going to have an autonomous bus soon. You know, there's a company called Easy Mile that does uh, has an autonomous uh, bus vehicle. It's kind of shorter than your usual bus, but it, it's still a bus. And, um, you know, they're testing that all over the place to see how it actually works and whether, you know, it, it goes in a specific route, which actually makes it seem like the autonomous transit will be first because there's already rails uh, on the ground in most places and well, in a lot of places, not most places. Um, but then there's also, you know, the bus is only going to have to go one route. So if you figure out that route really well, then you're going to be able to, to have a bus on that route as opposed to a self-driving car, which needs to know every little single obstacle and every little th- single thing that happens um, <laughs> along its route, whether that's, you know, snow or, or ice or rain or anything else, which is, has become actually quite a problem. So, you know, I think these things are happening. Uh, already in terms of the testing of them. Um, I don't know exactly when they'll be on the road, but they are definitely working towards them. And policy at the same time is coming far as well. I know that there's some cities that are, uh, I can't remember the names off the top of my head, but I know that there's some cities that are already working on autonomous vehicle policy because there's going to be a lot of things that happen uh, that we don't even think about when uh, some sort of an autonomous vehicle comes, you know, because of curb space usage, for example, you know, what are the curbs going to look like? Are we just going to have like an Uber and Lyft situation where people are dropped off and picked up everywhere, which causes even more problems with people running out in the middle of the street and those types of things. So, you know, there's there's a lot of, of things to consider, a lot of, you know, rearranging of the of the op- of the space of the road uh, that might need to happen to have these vehicles be um, you know, uh, in, 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 um, service. You know, it's interesting. They have that, uh, in Singapore. So I remember was there, I have traveled there a number of times because the company that I used to work for had an office there. And I remember we were leaving to, uh, to go somewhere and I just went out into the street and started hailing a cab. And then I have these staff members, no, no, you can't do that. And they came running, running after me because you can only, hail a cab or catch a cab at certain designated areas and that's that was to reduce you know road congestion just like you were you were just talking about so i just had this image in my mind of 
you know, these uh, cute little Asian people running after me. No, stop, stop, you know, because they take that uh, very, very seriously. You can, apparently you can get in trouble. Didn't want to, to cause any trouble there. The one thing I wanted to ask you about is with respect to, so we have all of this happening on the, on the public transport side and on the, um, on autonomous mobility side. But do you see, um, more and more cities, um, looking to limit private transport? And, you know, we, we talked about that a little bit during the, the panel, especially with respect to car bans, which I, you know, I don't know about you, but I do see that as a trend that's going to continue because I just think that cities cannot handle the traffic and the congestion and the noise and the pollution that, that, that comes with it all. So I, I see that as, um, as continuing, but I also see cities doing other things that are more subtle. So for example, and also cities that want to ban. So Oslo is a good example of this. I don't know if you, if you've seen that, um, you know, the city of Oslo tried to, to ban, uh, vehicles in certain parts, uh, of the city. And then, you know, there was quite a backlash. And so now they've moved to, you know, basically eliminate parking, which is a, you know, a backdoor way, if you will, to, to ban or at least severely limit private transport in their cities. Do you see the, the same thing happening from your side? And are there other measures beyond car, just flat out bans or parking restrictions, um, that cities are taking because they just can't manage the, the traffic and all, all that comes with it anymore? Yeah, and and part of that is a pollution concern, and part of that is a is a mobility concern. I mean, trying to get around a city um, which is choked with cars is really impossible, as you find out in places like Nairobi, where you know there can be two to three hour traffic jams and nobody goes anywhere. I think I mentioned this in the in the fuels conference as well, which is like that Doctor Who episode where all these cars are stuck down down underneath the ground, but they don't know why, but they've been that in that place for twenty years or something ridiculous like that. There's a whole whole episode about that. And then finally, Doctor Who lets them all go. And then they're like, woohoo, the, the traffic jam has been abated and it left. You know, I, but there's definitely a lot of cities. And actually, in the last couple of days, uh, the mayor of London has decided that they're going to release a policy brief about how they're going to try to reduce uh, personal automobile trips by three million a day and then increase the number of of trips taken by transit bike and walk by, you know, to make them 80% of the total trips inside of London. So, and, and the re- reason for that is because of pollution mostly because it is so, it's so bad. I mean, I think London, um, and I've mentioned this a number of times on a number of, of episodes, but, uh, and I, and I, I feel like I, I keep repeating myself, but it, you know, every, uh, every, the first week of the year, they're already past their annual, you know, allowance for nitrous oxide. So, you know, those are those are things that are very serious. And, and um, even the even the mayor himself, I think, has, has uh, some asthma issues. So that's kind of I think it hits home for him specifically. But these are these are things that cities are, are going to do. They're going to try to ban parking because it does mean that, you know, when you when you do put up a parking space in a city, you're you're bringing another car into the city. This is something that I I always get on my old adopted hometown of Austin about is because they they complain incessantly about traffic. But then nobody talks about all the parking spaces they're building downtown. They might have like a four-story parking garage underneath a underneath a new building and they have plenty of parking for all the cars that are needed downtown, 
but everybody wants to drive their individual car and park outside of their individual office. And, um, you know, if we can figure out a smarter way to allocate spaces, then you don't have, you know, less vehicles on the road because then you have better transit, then you have better bike access, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, these are definitely things that cities are doing. They're, they're going to do congestion pricing as well, which is basically charging to get into the center of the city. They do this in, in London and they do this in other cities uh, around the world as well. I mean, Singapore is another example. Um, where, you know, they're, they're just not going to uh, allow as many vehicles into the center anymore because it is a mobility issue. You don't have people stuck, you know, you don't want to have 50 person bus stuck behind a one person car, um, because the, the vehicle that you're driving in as an individual is getting in the way of the 50 other people's trips and it's making everybody slower. So that's something that's going to happen a lot, I think, is going to be restrictions in downtowns. So it's not going to happen in your suburban hamlet. You know, there's not going to be congestion pricing to get into your uh, gated community, I don't think. Um, but, at the same time, you know, cities and, and urban areas are going to have to figure out ways to get people around faster because people's time is important and the speed at which they get places is important. And so everybody should be treated equally in that sense. And, you know, that's kind of where I'm coming from it, uh, coming at it from, because I know here in San Francisco, we just actually released a new study about Lyft and Uber, which stated that, you know, 20 percent of the VMT in the city is from Lyft and Uber. And that's a huge change of from when, uh, you know, uh, VMT being vehicle launch traveled. And that's a huge change, I imagine, from, you know, just ten, like five, 10 years ago when, you know, Lyft and Uber didn't exist and taxis were somewhat limited. And, uh, you know, people use private automobiles or they used, uh, you know, the buses it more frequently. So, um, you know, those are things that are going to be changing as the mobility uh, environment changes, as as autonomous vehicles come online, even as, you know, new mobility changes. I mean, you're going to have bike shares, you're going to have Uber and Lyft and uh, Lyft just, you know, just released their new product, which is Lyft Shuttle, which is basically a bus that you can order with your with your smartphone. Um, and so these things are going to evolve and change. It's not going to be autonomous vehicles right away, but again, it's going to be these kind of subtle changes uh, that go uh, that make cities try to think about how they can move more people in the amount of space that they have. Because they can't, you know, you can't build more roads. I know Elon Musk wants to build more tunnels. I think that's kind of a ridiculous idea, uh, unless he wants to build more subways for Los Angeles. That would be great, but um, you know, building tunnels for cars seems like a huge waste of money for me. But I think cities are going to going to be doing something to make sure that people can get around and that pollution is reduced. With your experience interacting with serving and being an urban planner yourself, is the mobility issue, I mean, and this might seem like a dumb question, but really, I mean, is this the most challenging issue that urban planners actually have to, you know, confront is, is mobility or are there, are there other issues that are loom as large as well? Well, I think, you know, you can probably throw climate change in there and, and, and pollution and particulate matter that causes asthma and other, um, you know, and cancer and other things. But mobility is such a big issue because it's an equity issue for, you know, the economy and as a whole. I recently did a, a YouTube show uh, for Moval where we talked about um, the equity issue of people not able to get to school or to work because they can't afford transportation or they can't um, get to where they need to go in a timely manner. And so if you're late to your you know, clock in, clock out job, your boss is going to be really upset. Even if you left at 3 a.m. and your bus broke down, they're not going to care. They're, they're just going to try to find somebody else. So 
this is actually a, a, an equity issue and, a, and an issue for for folks that really need the access to places. I mean, we don't think, you know, we don't think about that as much if we have a car or if we have access to really good transportation or we, we know that, you know, our boss might let us off the hook if we're you know late a couple of times. But there's people that actually have to face this all the time. And, and, and the same thing with education as well. If you can't get to school, you can't be educated. So, you know, kids that, you know, they're they're mom couldn't drive them to school in the morning because they just barely missed the bus. They might not even go to school that day. So you might have a missing day of education. So that's actually a, a major issue and a big a big policy issue that needs to be discussed. But it's kind of underrepresented in, in the discussion at the moment. And I think mobility, uh, getting people around is, is a big part of the economy and, and, and the growth of, of the economy in, in this equation. So I want to ask you, you were just at the Michelin um, Mobility Conference. Uh-huh. What was the big takeaway for you from that event? Because that, that looked like a big one. It, it was pretty big. I mean, well, big is relative, I think, because, you know, the TRB conference in D.C. is about, what, 12, 13,000 people. Do you, <laughs> go, do, do you go to that, actually? I, I have been to TRB a couple of times. Yes. Oh, wow. OK. Uh, and then also APA, I think American Planning Association in, in, in the national conference is usually like six to 10,000 people, I think, like that. So that, in terms of big, I guess it wasn't super big. But from from a, an idea standpoint, it was big. I think the biggest takeaway from me is that mm, nobody really knows what the future is going to be like. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a uh, whole bunch of people of, who, uh, who are in the same boat. Because, you know, I think they're talking about, you know, flying vehicles, VTOLs, and they're talking about they're talking about hyperloops, and we're talking about um, autonomous vehicles, and we're talking about, you know, mobility as a service, which is another really cool thing that's coming out of Finland and other places around Europe and in the world. So there's there's a lot of like little things that are happening, but I don't think anybody has their pulse on on what's going on. And I, I that one it was interesting because that one was very uh you know the the Michelin conference and I, and I really enjoyed my time there. Uh, it was really focused on kind of the public sector, I mean the private sector stuff. Um, so what's going on with with car companies and what's going on with people doing this that and the other thing in the in the in the public in the private sector. Uh, most of the conferences I usually go to are very uh, public sector where it's all about policy and, and, and mayors and, and having people think about, you know, how to how do we redesign streets from a, a transportation director standpoint. Um, so it was a very interesting and different place than I'm usually at. But it was really interesting from the standpoint of the big, big ideas, I guess. Uh, there's a lot of big dreaming, a lot of a lot of big thoughts and hopes and and a lot of, uh, you know, want to make money, I think, uh, which is a little bit different than <laughs> than the than the usual conference that I go to. So I want to ask you about speaking of the, the car companies. What are your thoughts from your particular vantage point on the future of the electric vehicle market? And what are cities doing to support that and and, and to sort of facilitate that around the country and also also around the world? I think it's growing. I think um, it'll continue to grow and it will continue to grow as more car companies are building vehicles. But at the same time, I think it will grow mostly in places that are major urban centers. Um, I think some of the places that are not major urban centers won't be adopting as quickly because there won't necessarily be a need for it. And um, you know, in cities specifically, I know that we worry a lot about particulate matter and about pollution and about all those things. And because of a concentration of people now per capita, we release less 
uh, emissions than our suburban uh, counterparts. But at the same time, we have a total amount of, uh, which is a lot. And the ports are here and all those other things. So I would love to, you know, see electrification of trucks and electrification of, uh, you know, ships and electrification of rails, railroads as well, just because I know that, you know, the, the port, port areas are some of the worst when it comes to pollution um, around the, around the world. But I think that the adoption rate's gonna gonna go up. I think maybe a little bit slower than we expect. I mean, they're growing quickly. Somebody's, I think I saw a sixty percent growth last year. Um, I don't remember the numbers correct and where it came from, so apologize uh, if it it's wrong. But you know, when I look at that number, I'm like, well, sixty percent over what? What was the starting number? You know, <laughs> like what what's the what's the 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 start point for that? Because you know, numbers sixty uh, percent growth can be amazing, but that's also, you know, only like six, six, if you only have 10 vehicles, that's like six extra ones. So it's not a big deal. You know, I think that, that, that it'll be happening, but I, I also think that it's going to be slow in adoption because, you know, the turnover rates for vehicles are, are pretty long winded. But then there's also this like subprime, uh, you know, subprime auto loan, uh, situations going on too. There's a, there was a New York Times article the other day about that. Um, where you know the the subprime mortgage uh, debacle is leaking into uh, subprime vehicles, which I think is really well connected to um, a number of other issues like gentrification and 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 the hollowing out of the core from uh, uh, from poor people in the suburban areas being uh, you know becoming more diverse and and also more economically diverse as well. So that's a whole other issue that we could talk about, but I, <laughs> I don't want to go on that tangent quite yet. I could go on forever, but basically, um, you know, I think that, that the electric vehicles, um, are, are coming. I think they'll be here, but I just don't think they'll be here as fast as people expect. You know, maybe, uh, the, the model three from Elon Musk will, will light a fire under other car companies, but, you know, car companies, uh, are, are, are kind of, they're going in their direction and they'll get there when they get there, but I don't think that they're finding it an urgent, uh, path yet. I mean, there's, for example, here in California, I know that they make, uh, Fiat 500, electrics right but but that the, but the the ceo of, of of fiat has said or one of the leaders of fiat has said that he only does it because he has to it, because the state of california makes him so because of this have mandate right so california yeah we're gonna have a lot sooner because we have mandates but every not every state is like that so you're gonna see that probably response from from automakers as well what are cities doing? Do you see cities investing more in the coming, let's say, 10 years? Do you see them investing more in in infrastructure to help sort of facilitate the market? Do, are they just kind of going to be on the sidelines? Are they going to do something else? Are they not really going to be involved at all and the market just kind of you know, let the market develop? What do you see the, their role being in all this? Well, cities actually have a major role to play because I know that there's a number of cities that are talking about trying to go zero emissions in the in the coming years. And as part of the Paris Agreement, I know that that's that's a big deal, too. Um, I just had Dr. Patrick Oliva on, who is part of the Paris process for mobility on my podcast. And, and he was talking about basically what cities can do is zero emissions and zero emissions means that all of your vehicles as well are going to have to change over to electric. So if there's a mandate by cities to go electric, then, it, then it's likely to happen. I think that actually, um, Oh gosh, is it, is it, is it Bombay or is it somewhere else, Mumbai or, or somewhere else in India where they are basically saying by 2030, we're going to have all electric. Well, actually it's, it's, city. it's the entire nation, but they'll start, oh, they'll start India, with okay. the, they'll start with the big cities, which I'm, um, I'm interested to see how all that, uh, that plays out because that is, I don't 
I think I'm stating the obvious here. That is way ambitious. Um, it is very ambitious. But 2030 is kind of far away, right? Yeah, it's only yeah. like 13 years, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Which sounds weird to me. Uh, <laughs> 13 <laughs> years to 2030. Um, after, you know, the FTA and, and uh, all those DOT 2030 projections back in the early 2000s. Yeah, no, I think that cities are going to be made, playing a major role in in making sure that the vehicles become electric and, and they're going to have all of these regulations to make it happen. They're also going to incentivize it by having charging stations, by requiring uh, new buildings to have uh, vehicle charging available or, you know, not even have parking at all. Right. They're going to have uh, bike stations or whatever else. That was part of the mayor's the mayor of London's uh, proposal as well that we were talking about before was you know, that there's going to be no new parking. And if you're going to build parking, it's going to be secure bike parking so that your bike won't get stolen. So those are those are some of the things that cities are going to do. And I think that that's going to be a major player, especially in cities that are really serious about uh, following up on on the Paris process and following up on climate change. Uh, they're going to take the reins and try to make, do as much as possible to, to make zero emissions happen uh, around the world. So I want to ask you about that. But one thing I would also say before I ask you is I think another role that they they may end up playing is helping to stimulate the market by doing more purchasing more electric vehicles for their own fleets. Do you see that happening as well? Yeah, actually, there's a there's a bunch of cities on the West Coast that have, have uh, you know, bound together uh, to buy uh, electric vehicles as a as a group to buy, you know, 20,000 or 23,000 vehicles. I think it's like Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Portland or something like that. Those cities are going to, you know, get together and do a large purchasing order, which makes that their order more powerful for the auto companies, right? It makes them start to think about, you know, oh my gosh, <laughs> these huge, these cities are going to buy what, 20,000 vehicles? That's crazy. Uh, and we got to get ready for this and we got to build a vehicle that they can all have that's uh, electric and, and uh, available. So, um, it's definitely something that's coming and it's definitely something that they're working on uh, at a at a city level. And I think I think that was an early iteration. There might even be more cities on the on the team, I guess, t- uh, together to order those vehicles than I than I even stated. Wow. So you talked about cities and the and the Paris Agreement. And, you know, I'm hearing and, and reading and talking to, to people about this because I want to try and understand, well, how well, what kind of actions will they take that could potentially impact fuels and vehicles, you know, that clients really need to to know about. And I'm hearing two schools of thought emerging. I'm hearing one school of thought that's it, that's very much led by um you know, proponents such as Michael Bloomberg, you know, they have the C40 that the Paris mayor is involved in, the London uh, London mayor Sadiq Khan is involved in pushing very much uh, for uh, taking the lead, uh, that and pushing for cities to take the lead on uh, implementing the, the Paris Agreement and that there's lots of potential there and they're really going to do a lot and so on and so forth. And actually, some cities actually already have plans in place that pretty much follow the Paris Agreement's nationally determined contribution. So that's one side. And then the other side is, um, and you may have seen an, an article about this this week, where I think it might have been in Green Tech Media or, or something like that, where they basically said, you know, this is a waste of time. I mean, <laughs> and cities aren't going to do anything. You know, it's really not going to add up to much. And, you know, really, this is uh, the, the big actions need to be taken at the federal and uh, possibly the state level. So from your vantage point, again, you know, who's 
who's right or is it a little bit in the middle? <laughs> it's probably in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say don't sleep on cities, right? I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of power in cities that um, has yet to be has yet to be wielded. So it's something that they're going to, you know, I think that at the federal level, you have the power plant regulations and those types of things. And as you know, as they get cleaner, um, that's going to be it's easier to do. But um, some places obviously won't go that direction because it's just che- it's cheaper to go the other direction. But at the same time, I think that you, you know the the cities have have a lot to to say about this, especially when it comes to regulations around things like light bulbs or things like uh, Energy Star. Uh, you know, for new housing, um, there can be you know the, the electric vehicle. Uh, re- requirements. Uh, there can be the purchasing of electric vehicles. All these things come together. And cities are going to be a major player in this. So building, uh, you know, build, building energy retrofits and stuff. I know the City Energy Project at NRDC is working on this uh, a lot, where basically, you know, they have folks in the mayor's offices of major cities where they're focusing on energy retrofits for buildings to make sure that, you know, you get a lot of more, a lot more bang for your buck when it comes to um, your building uh, stock. So, those are those are major things that cities can do, and I I I, I wouldn't you know I wouldn't sleep on them. They they they're going to be a super powerful and a force to be reckoned with. I think that in some cases uh, the kind of folks that might dismiss the cities are ones that uh, you know don't want them to have as much power as they actually do. Well, there is sort of this interesting tension. So this is this is almost kind of a, a new area. I mean, I'm used to dealing probably more on the the federal um, and state slash provincial level with respect to to fuels and vehicles because yes, that's that is the primary you know regulator. But there does seem to be this kind of you know the more I dig in dig into this to try and understand these kinds of, of trends uh, for clients. There does seem to be this sort of uh, a tension between, you know, city power, state power, and then you sort of overlay that with with uh, federal power that I haven't really um, understood before. And I've read uh, read a few things about that, you know, like um, there have been some some journal articles about para diplomacy, you know, these kinds of issues coming uh, coming from cities. And, um, and, and it's really, really interesting to see, but I wouldn't write cities off either because, you know, they're the ones that are going to put in the, the charging infrastructure, or at least they'll regulate, you know, where, where it's going to go and, and what it needs to be and so forth. They're the ones, just like you say, they're going to regulate the parking and the building codes and all these things that, you know, could, um, you know, enhance different modes of transport or, you know, limit or eliminate. So, it's um you know and transport as we know is is one of the biggest contributors to to greenhouse gases so i would imagine you know from their standpoint they actually can do quite a lot i mean um so it's um you know it's it's interesting to sort of see this sort of over, overlay and sort of this tension is that something that's really discussed much um in you know your your community or not really I live in San Francisco, so we're weird, you know. Uh, 
<laughs> we we're our own little fiefdom. Or no not comment. Fiefdom, but our own little yeah, <laughs> we're our own little little place. Um, I will say that there is a power struggle that's going to happen between states and cities, and um, it's already actually already happening in Texas, for example, where the governor uh, who is in Austin uh, is really against a lot of Austin rules and regulations that are put down by the city. They recently reinstated the ability of of Uber and Lyft to operate there without Austin's rules. I know that they have tree cutting ordinances that that cities have that he really didn't like uh, because he cut down a tree and people gave him a hard time about it when he was uh, building his house. So uh, I think, you know, and those are just kind of personal vendetta issues that, you know, the, the governor might have towards the city of Austin. But this has been going on way before, you know, Greg Abbott was the was the governor of, of Texas. So um, Austin has kind of been a convenient scapegoat for uh, rules and regulations from the rest of the state, which isn't as quote unquote progressive or liberal as as the cities in the state of, of Texas, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio and uh, and and Austin. So I think we're going to see this in, in not necessarily places like California, but in other states where there is kind of a, a difference between the cities. And and uh, you, you might even see this in places like Minneapolis and Minnesota, where, you know, the city of Minneapolis, St. Paul. The cities, I should say, they're, they're two different places, but cities of St. Minneapolis and St. Paul are, are, you know, fighting up against what the, the more rural areas want. And you see this in Wisconsin and other, other states as well. So this is going to be a power struggle as cities gain more power. There's likely going to be movements to take some of it away because the, the federal government and the state government feel like they should have more say. Um, in, in what they're doing. And also just that politics thing of, of liberal versus conservative, right? The uh, suburban and, and rural areas are generally, and the representatives are generally more conservative. And so they don't want cities trampling over their laws and rights and things like that, which um, is going to be another fight that happens as well. And at the federal level, in terms of transportation, I know that they're trying to cut all the funding for transit, for capital transit projects of the New Starts program. And so you know, there's a big talk about devolution and what that means as well. You know, making all the money go down, you know, making all the responsibility go down to the state or the or the city level for some of these transportation projects while still keeping some of them road projects mostly up at the at the at the federal level um, for this administration. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting discussions that can be had about power in cities and, and in states, uh, but it will be a struggle over the next couple of decades, I think, as as these these things continue to move forward and as cities try to take the lead in uh, the climate uh, space, but might be pushed back on a little bit. So maybe it might be like two steps forward, one step back sometimes. All right. We'll end it there. That's the show. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Jeff so much for being on the show today. It was great to talk to you and I hope to have you back as these issues continue to evolve. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. So please do us a favor before you go today, head over to iTunes and rate this podcast. This is huge for us in terms of improving our ranking and keeping the show visible so that other people can discover it and also benefit from it. Thanks ahead of time for helping us out. And if you're looking for more insight and analysis on fuels and vehicles issues, sign up for my free newsletter at futurefuelstrategies.com. Thanks again. 